chapter 16 in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 16, verse 1, when you got it, say so. It says, now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought, brought, bought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb where the sun, when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting at the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him, as he said to you. So they went out quickly, fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. After that, he appeared in another form to two men as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table. And he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen and he said to them go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature he who believes and is baptized will be saved but he who does not believe will be condemned lord thank you so very much for this day for your word for your love and god for the reminder that you are a risen savior lord we praise you and we thank you for the opportunity that we had this morning to sing songs to you and now for the opportunity that we have to hear your word. God, I pray that you would captivate our minds and our hearts, that you would open our ears, that you would remove distractions, and that you would use this time to change us forevermore. We pray this in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, just raise your hand. Um, we want to make sure that you have an outline so you can follow along in the introduction of the message. Uh, we also want to be sure that you're able to take notes as we go through um, the sermon. And as always, um, you are a disciple of Jesus. And I don't think that there is any more important message that you could share than that of the resurrection of Jesus and what God's word teaches about that. And so I hope you'll take notes and that you'll make it a point to sit down with someone and, and share with them what you have learned this morning. And so if you look in your outline there, um, while Christians throughout the world today are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Christ, the greatest miracle ever, the American Atheist Conference is taking place this same weekend, arguing against, mocking and ridiculing theism and theistic religion in general, but more specifically, the audacious belief that we celebrate as fact is real at all. 
I didn't know this, but I was watching a debate online between somebody who I respect greatly. He actually came here and preached for us, um, um, Pastor Mike Winger. He came back um, our last year's anniversary, and he was debating Matt Delahunty. He was the guy that I told you guys about a few weeks ago who is, you know, a very vocal atheist. He, you know, seems to be very educated. I know he's a well-read guy, and so I definitely appreciate the fact that he's done his research. He was a guy that was raised in church. He was actually one of the speakers, and when I was watching the debate, um, they mentioned, he mentioned that this particular weekend that he would be going to this National Atheist Conference. And I was like, wow, isn't that ironic? On the day that we celebrate the resurrection, they're having a conference too. I don't know. I don't think it's coincidence. I'm just saying, right? And so I'm not saying like they're sitting in their conference and they're over there bashing Christians and stuff like that. But what I can tell you is that that is what they do. I've watched the debate, and listen, if you want to watch the debate, you feel free to do that. And you'll sit down, and I'm going to quote Mike, Mike Winger a little bit later on. But the reality is this, is that we are celebrating a day that we know is true and that some people don't even believe. They don't even think that it could even be possible. And yet, if you look at your outline there, the Apostle Paul says something in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says these words. He says, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Did you hear that? If Christ is not risen, what he's saying is our gatherings don't even matter. What we're doing makes no sense. What I'm saying doesn't have any weight to it. What you believe doesn't matter. You know why? Because Jesus didn't rise. You know why I quote that scripture here? It's because this is nothing new. People have been saying for a long time Jesus hasn't risen and yet nobody's proved it. Are you here? People have been communicating this, that Jesus did not rise. And yet, no one has been able to prove that reality. Nobody's found the body. They haven't, you know, if they could do DNA, they wouldn't have been able to find it. But nobody has been able to prove that. And so the reality is what we believe is surely, surely true. But what I want you to know is that the resurrection is fact. It is not fiction. The resurrection is fact. It is not fiction. We are here today as a proof, not the proof, but as a proof of this fact. You know what? If I ask you to raise your hands, I won't ask you to do that. But if I ask you to raise your hands, each and every one of you that is a believer in Jesus Christ, you could declare today that you've encountered God in some way, shape, or form. Whether it was a moment where God did something deep in your heart, whether it was an experience that you had with the Lord, God is still revealing himself. Why? Because he's not dead. He's alive. Because he is not dead, he is alive. Therefore, we know this, but I want you to realize that your experience, my experience, are not the proof. They are a proof. The proof is found in many other places. There's a lot of different areas that we can look at. I wanted, uh, as, as I was reading and researching, I thought about this. What would a secular historian say about the kind of evidence that we have for the resurrection of Jesus? What would somebody who, you know, is studying history, right, in a way that they're going to teach in a college? And so there's a, there, there's a professor, Dr. Paul Mayer. He's a professor of ancient history at Western Michigan University. And he states this. He says, the documentary evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is better attested than some events in secular history from 50 years ago. Did you hear that? The red, I'll read that again. The documentary evidence, in other words, the evidence that is written down for us for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is better attested than some events in secular history from 50 years ago. We have more eyewitness evidence that Jesus was raised from the dead than for the death of Alexander the Great in Babylon um, in, in 323 B.C. or than we do for the famous assertion that Julius Caesar crossed the Rubicon River. Are you here? We have more evidence for these things, for Jesus, than those things. And you know what? We believe those other things. Like, yeah, they happen. There's no question. We don't even think about it twice. 
But when we come to the resurrection of Jesus where there is more proof, there is more attestation to the resurrection of Jesus, there's doubt. And so what I want to talk about today is a message I've entitled, Not a Doubt, Not a Doubt. And, and I want you to think about this this morning. Doubt is the tool of the enemy to disconnect us from the power of the resurrection. Doubt is the tool of the enemy to disconnect us from the power of the resurrection. You know, there's something that, that for me, as, as we watch that video um, for the intro here, but as we watch that video, as I watch it, because, you know, obviously I watch the videos before they go up. I don't just, fig, you know, find them out when you get here in the morning. Like, hey, they just played something. But I looked at the video, and it brought me to tears every time that I, I had to watch it a few times to make sure I didn't cry today. And the reason is because what? Because there, the truth is, Jesus is risen. That should do something inside of our hearts. There is something that happened for real. And why is that such a big deal? Is because the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection changes everything. And when the enemy can get you to doubt the resurrection, the bedrock and the foundation of Christianity, you know what he can do? He can disconnect you from the power of the resurrection being manifested in your life. So the first thing I would ask you to repeat after me is this this morning. Say, no doubt, no doubt. Jesus, Jesus was dead and buried. So we start off with no doubt. There is no doubt that Jesus was dead and buried. And in and, 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 and my second point, I'm going to go through some proofs that we can look at Jesus being alive. But I want you to know this is proof number one, that Jesus was dead. Jesus cannot rise if he's not really dead. If he's not really dead, he can't, he can't rise, right? It's like, you know, you could claim a resurrection, but if you weren't really dead, like, you know, you didn't do anything special. But if you were dead and you were alive again, then now we can have a different conversation. And so what we realize that Jesus was dead. And, you know, as we've been reading through, I love, I want you to know this, I love the authenticity of the Bible. I love it. As, as we've been reading through the Bible chronologically this year, for those of you that started in the beginning of the year with us and walking through this, I can assure you, and it's funny because on Realm, where we talk about the scriptures that we read, there's some questions that come up. There's some stuff like, yo, why did God allow that to happen? Like, like why is that there? I love, but for me, I love the authenticity of the Bible because you know why? The Bible to me is, is so is awesome in this sense because anybody who was trying to create a religion that was attractional, guess what they wouldn't have done? They would have never published the Bible. Are you here? It's, it's kind of like somebody trying to get a girl to date him, right? Think about this. When you are trying to get a girl to date you, you brush your teeth, don't you? Come on, I hope you do. Right? You, you take a shower before you see her, right? You, you make sure. I mean, you, Pastor Aldo talked about some of y'all went shopping. It's like you're Easter every time you see them. Come on now. Right? And so the reality is what? Is that when you are trying to impress someone, you don't show them you're ugly. Are you here? Why do you think, listen, why do you think so many people are like, yo, what did I sign up for when they get married? Because all of a sudden, <laughs> Mr. Brush your teeth all the time, fix your hair all the time, dress right all the time. You looking rough sometimes. Come on now. You forget to brush your teeth sometimes. You, and anyway, come on now. The point is, if you want to attract someone, you always put your best foot forward. You don't ever put your ugly stuff out there. And you know what God does? God's like, I want you to see the reality of human sinfulness. I want you to see the reality of the imperfections of man. That doesn't say that I'm imperfect. That just shows that I have a plan for them. I love them. I want to do something for them. I want to redeem them. I'm going to let you see how ugly and sinful and how much man deserves to be destroyed because we're not worthy of God's goodness, of God's grace, of God's love. And he allows us to see this throughout the scriptures. That is what the gospel message is about is that we are born into sin, separated from God by our decisions, by our actions. And guess what? God does something to rescue us. 
He does something to rescue us. But what we have here when we look at this story, and I love the story because it's just authentic. It's just real. These, if you read the story, we just read it. My wife read it in the, in the opening of the service, and then I just read it again. But those first eight verses there, these women were coming, and the first thing we realized is a couple of things that we should notice. The first thing is this, is that we see that there was no doubt, again, I say it, that Jesus was dead and he was buried. Why? Because they're on their way to the tomb on a Sunday morning, right, after the Sabbath is over. They went and bought the spices for his death and so you know what they're doing they're on their way to the tomb and they have one question in their mind one question who's going to move the stone so we can get in there who is going to remove the stone for us so we can get in there and we can actually put these spices on his body they weren't going there saying hey we're going to see jesus this morning we're going to see Jesus arise. We're going to see Jesus alive. We're going there to meet Jesus because he told us in three days he would rise again. That isn't what they were doing. They were going there with one thing in their mind, and that was to prepare his body completely for this burial. And so that way they were going to bring these spices in there. And what happens? They walk in there, and they're alarmed because what? The stone is moved. There's somebody who is sitting over here. That somebody is an angel sitting over here. And then he's like, listen, you guys, don't be alarmed. They're, they're afraid. Don't be alarmed, right? Like you would be like, wait a second. Hold on. Right? The stone is gone. You're sitting up in here. Jesus is not there. And he's like, you are looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He was dead. He is risen. He is alive. They're alarmed again. Come on. I want you to read. Look, look, look with me really quickly. I want you to see what happens. Verse 8. Here is, the, here is the finishing part of that whole conversation. I want you to look at this. Look what it says. It says, so they went out quickly. They were running. Come on now. They were like, we got to get out of here. This is crazy. What we just saw is crazy. Right? What they knew wasn't true. Are you here? They knew Jesus was dead. And they're, they're, wait, wait a second. We know this, but he's not. Amen. He says there, he says, it says what? So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they, were, for they trembled and were amazed. And look what it says. It says, and they told everyone. Is that what it says? No. It says what? It says, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid why is that so important the disciples were fearing for their lives because their savior had just been killed their savior had just been crucified they were afraid to go out and communicate, hey, this Jesus is alive. They didn't run out of there. It's, it's so important that you see the realness of this moment. It wasn't like a jumping for joy and, hey, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. That happened, and we're going to see that in the book of Acts. But it wasn't that way from the beginning. Why? Because Jesus was truly dead. The women were, were in shock and awe. What they knew wasn't true. They knew Jesus was dead, but that wasn't true. And what is true, they were like, now, nah, this can't be true this can't be true this cannot be a reality they were surprised that the tomb was open they were afraid when they saw the angel and they were overwhelmed with the good news that Jesus had risen I'll say it again the resurrection connects us to what doubt would keep us from when we believe in the resurrection of Jesus it connects us to God it connects us to God's power but doubt disconnects us from what faith would connect us to the second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this say lots of doubt that Jesus had risen. 
So we go from no doubt that Jesus was dead and buried to now lots of doubt that Jesus was risen. And so let's look at the, let's look at the scriptures again. Look at verse 9 with me. Verse 9 says what? Now, first of all, we saw the ladies. They were there. They were trembling. They were scared in verse 8. In verse 9, it says, now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. Again, I want you to see it. They're mourning. They're weeping the death of Jesus, just like you and I. When we lose someone we love, what do we do? We mourn. We weep. We're not expecting to see them again. If someone came to you and a loved one that you had and they said, hey, they rose, you would be like, no, that's not true. I saw them dead. I saw them when my, when, my, when my grandfather passed away, and I saw him in the hospital room. If somebody would have came up to me hours later, days later, and be like, yo, your grandfather's alive, I saw him walking, be like, nah, man, you're crazy. You, you are out of your mind. And so the disciples, they had the, same, they, they had the same reaction. It says what in verse 11? It says, and when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. They didn't believe. It wasn't like they just accepted the testimony of these ladies. Hey, we went to the tomb. We were going we, we to put the spices in there on Jesus, and the tomb was open. There was an angel that was sitting there. He told us he's risen, and Jesus appeared to us. Nope, they were like, no, nah, that's not true. It can't be true. Listen, I know I'm, I'm trying to build faith, but I'm, I'm actually building doubt here, right? But what I want you to see is that they did not believe. Verse 12 goes on to say what? And after that, he appeared in another form to two men as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. It wasn't an automatic thing. There was lots of doubt at the time that Jesus was said to have been risen. Why is this important? Because what I said earlier, listen, skepticism is nothing new. The biggest skeptics of all were the disciples of Jesus. The ones who believed the least in the resurrection when it first happened were the disciples of Jesus. That becomes so important for us to grasp. And so as I said, I watched this debate that was there. And so Jesus had promised, right? He promised to rise up. And so the debate was, was entitled this, Is Belief in the Resurrection Unreasonable? Is Belief in the Resurrection Unbelievable? Back then there were skeptics and there are skeptics today. And so Pastor Mike Winger, he does some really, really good work in his laying out of all of these facts. So he gives us 12 ev well-evidenced facts that the majority agreement even in the non-Christian community. I'll say that again. He gives us 12 evidence facts that are that, that, that there is a majority of agreement even in the non-Christian community. What I want you to know is that if you go back and you watch the debate, first thing I want to tell you is this, is please don't take notes right now. I'm going to tell you why. Because I'm going to talk fast and you're going to try to write down these 12 things. You're going to miss everything that I'm trying to tell you here. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to send this to everyone who wants it. I'm going to put it on Realm. We'll put it on Facebook. We'll put it on Instagram. We'll give you links to all of you. are going to get this whole, all these 12 points and I'll even put the link to the debate in there so you can go ahead and you can watch it. I just want to warn you, uh, Matt Delahunty was not convinced. He's very sarcastic, very disrespectful, as most atheists are. Most people who don't believe in the God that we believe in, they're not even respectful about it. And that's fine. You know, it's, it's supposed to be that way. But here's the reality. The reality is this, is that when Pastor Mike, when he sat down and he did all of this study and all of this research, the one thing that you have to do, and this is what I want you to know, is that when you study about Jesus, don't, listen, you can go outside of the Bible and you can find people who don't believe this book and yet history will affirm facts about Jesus. Are you here? 
If you don't have that about documentation, there's an issue. I'm not afraid for you to go ahead and study out the facts. I'm not afraid. I hope that you will because I want your faith to be strong in Jesus Christ. See, my goal today is, is twofold. Number one, if you're not a believer in here today, is that you would look at the facts that surround the resurrection and that your heart would be turned to Jesus, that you would know that he loves you, he cares for you, and he wants you to live a life for his glory. He wants you to know his love. He wants you to know his power. And if you are a believer in Jesus, my heart and my prayer is that you will go out of here so stirred about the resurrection, so sure about what you know that you will not be ashamed to ever share the truth of Jesus with a world that desperately needs it. So that's the goal here. So don't take notes for this moment. You can take notes after these 12 points. Amen. All right. So the 12 evidence facts are what? I already pointed out the first one. The first one is what? Is that Jesus died by Roman crucifixion. I'm going to go through these quickly, right? Jesus died by Roman crucifixion. This is very, very important. Why? Because Romans were experts in this type of death. And this type of killing, they were experts. They knew what they were doing. There was no question. When they shoved the, the spear in the side of Jesus, guess what they were doing? They were proving that he was dead. Because what? Because typically what would happen is people would hang on a cross for days sometimes. And when they would hang on the cross for days, they would hang there and they would, be, they would have the strength and the ability to push themselves up by their legs because you die, if you don't know this, but by crucifixion, you die because you suffocate. That is how you die. Your body goes through all kinds of stuff, but for days they hang there. But because it was the day of, of preparation, what happened was they wanted to get the bodies down. So what did they do after days? Normally after days, after you suffered and you hung there, and people were looking at you in this execution position, you know what would happen? They would come by with some club, and they would break your legs. And the reason they would break your legs is so you couldn't push yourself up anymore. And so you had to ultimately die. Of, you know, you, you, you couldn't breathe anymore, and so you couldn't push yourself up anymore. And so that is what would happen. But you know what? When they came to Jesus, they were like, man, it's only been a little while. He's not breathing anymore. So they were like, maybe he's faking. Maybe he's not being real about this. And so what do they do? They shove the spear in his side. They prove that he was dead. And so that's the first one. The second one that we have, and I just shared this, the reason why I pointed this out, is because the disciples lost hope. These are proofs for the resurrection. The disciples lost hope. Listen, they were walking with Jesus for these three years. They were like, yo, this is the king. This is the king that was to come. This is the Messiah. This is the one that we've been waiting on. And all of a sudden, they watch him die. And what does the Bible say? The Bible says they all scattered. They all scattered. Peter denied him three times. They all walked away from Jesus. And then what happens? What ends up happening is they all lost hope. They were like, nah, man, he's, it's done. Well, we followed him for those three years. It was a waste of time. They went back to the places and things that they were doing before because what? They lost hope. The third thing is this, is that he was buried most likely in a private tomb. Again, when you do research and you look at where Jesus was buried, it confirms the fact that he was born or that he was probably buried in a private tomb. The narrative that is there around Jesus' life is actually aligns with what was, what, 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 other, whether, what other historical facts prove about Jesus during that time, about the, the places where people were buried. And so he's probably buried in a private tomb. The, the fourth thing is what? Is that the tomb was found empty soon after his interment. The tomb was found empty soon after his interment, right? So what is this? What, what, why does this matter? So it wasn't a long time after Jesus. That was three days later, right? 
Three days later, Jesus is, the tomb is found empty. Now, 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 why is this so important? There's two things that I want you to notice here. When you look at the, the communication of the resurrection, there's two things I want, I want to share. One of them is this, is that there is enemy attestation to this, which affirms what we're talking about here. First of all, in the, in the beginning there, you read the story, and what happened? What happened was the Jews killed him. Remember the Jewish leaders? They're the ones that put Jesus on the cross. And you remember what they did? You, if, you, if you read the other narratives of the Gospels, you know what they did, right? They said, hey, we need to make up a story and say the disciples stole his body. Enemy attestation. They weren't denying that the body wasn't there. What they were denying was why it wasn't there. It's a difference. It's one thing to say the body of Jesus, it's, it's there. It's, it's a whole different thing to say it's not there, but there's a reason why. I'm going to explain it away. I'm going to say, well, it was his disciples that came by and stole the body. We know that's not true. Nonetheless, if you fast forward in history, you'll see other historians after that were not believers in Jesus. You know what they were doing? They were quoting that same lie that, they, that was said over here. I mean, come on now. You got to think about this. Enemy attestation. Let me tell you another one. And for the ladies in the room, I'm really sorry about this one, but this is a reality. Women were the first ones to testify about the resurrection. That is a problem, and I want to tell you why. It is not because God doesn't love women. It is because in those days, women were terrible witnesses. Why? Not because they weren't smart, not because they weren't able. It is because they were not respected. And so, again, I told you about the authenticity of the scriptures, right? Anybody trying to get you to believe something, you know what they're never going to say in those days? Hey, ask a woman. I'm just sorry. I'm, ladies, I'm sorry. I would say that. I, I, I love women. I just want you to know. I love my wife the most. Amen. <laughs> right? I appreciate every, every woman, the wisdom, the grace that God has given you. I just need you to know something. If you look at the Bible, what does God say? The first people to see Jesus, it wasn't men. It was women. And so, again, there's an embarrassment thing that would go there surrounding the tomb being empty. The, the fifth thing is that the disciples had individual and group experiences that they believe were actual appearances of the risen Christ. And so some people will say these were hallucinations. The problem with this is what? Is number one, you could say individual hallucinations. Okay, whatever. If you wanted to go that route, that's not something that can even be affirmed. But group hallucination, there is no scientific study that show you anywhere where there is ever a group hallucination. Anywhere. Anywhere. And so if we can't even show that scientifically, how can that be a scientific fact? It's not. It's a smoke screen. It's some way to try to deny that, oh, he didn't really write. Okay, so we understand that. The fifth or the sixth one is this, is that the disciples' lives were thoroughly transformed, even being willing to die for this belief. Their lives were changed. Remember, they were despondent. They were discouraged. They were depressed. They were like, this Jesus didn't rise. He didn't, there's no way he could be alive. They went back into hiding, or they went into hiding because of what? The reason why Peter denied Jesus three times, you know why? It's because he knew if he agreed that he knew Jesus, he was next. He didn't want to die, and yet history proves Peter died a crucifixion. As a matter of fact, it shows that he died upside down because he said, I'm not worthy to die the way my Savior died. This, these people were willing to die. Listen, I may be willing to, you know, you ever, you ever played a prank on someone? Right, you play a prank, you, you act like something happened, and then, you know, you go ahead and you go along with the story for a while. But when things get serious, what do you do? No, I'm just joking. Right? Like, you just stop. Okay, I want you to know things got real serious when these people started losing their lives. When people started losing, getting their heads cut off, when people started getting killed for this belief in this resurrected Jesus, guess what? It was time to say, time out. We were kidding. We have the body of Jesus. But they didn't do that. What did they do? They died. 
because they had an experience with this resurrected Savior. Number six, number seven, the um, apostolic proclamation of the resurrection began very early while the church was in its infancy. So this refutes the idea of legend, right? Like, like it was some later on people started talking about the resurrection of Jesus. See, the truth is what? Is that the resurrection started the church. The church did not start the idea of the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus is what gave these men and these women boldness to stand up and proclaim the risen Christ. You know what? Because he's risen, he's defeated death. I have nothing to be afraid of. So I will start to proclaim this. We're going to look at that in my next point here. And the eighth one is this. The disciples' preaching of the resurrection took place in Jerusalem. Their preaching took place. Listen, if they wanted to bring a lie, they weren't going to bring it in Jerusalem. You know why? Because everybody was there for the death. Everybody was there for what happened. You're going to see in the book of Acts, when we go through those scriptures in a moment, you're going to see how clearly the apostles preached and how boldly they preached directly in the faces of those who crucified Jesus. There was no way they were not trying to pull back or, or, or trying to act like this didn't happen. They preached it there. The, the, the ninth thing is this, is that the gospel message centered on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is what the gospel is, that Jesus died for our sin. He rose for our justification. The tenth thing is that Jesus appeared to perform miracles and exorcisms and considered himself God's eschatological agent. And so Jesus did all of these things. After he rose again, he appears again, and he declares throughout these gospels who he is and because he rises this attests to who Jesus is the 11th thing is what I love this one James the brother of Jesus a former skeptic became a Christian he became a believer due to an experience that he that he believed was an appearance of, of the risen Jesus are you here James didn't listen it was his brother like yo we grew up together man I mean think about this I mean just imagine one of your brothers gets up and he's like he starts telling y'all he's something you'd be like bro you ain't nothing Right? Like, I grew up with you. Like, I know you. Like, I know where you're from. And if you read the gospel accounts, what do you see? You see the scriptures make it plain that his own brothers didn't believe him. They're like, hey, why don't you go up to Jerusalem? You know your people want to see you. What does the Bible say? The Bible says because they did not believe. Yet later on, James becomes what? He becomes one of the apostles. And the 12th one is this. Within a few years, Saul, who is Paul, we know as Paul, the apostle Paul. We're going through the book of Romans. The church persecutor, he became a Christian or a believer due to an experience that he believed was an appearance of the risen Jesus. That's a lot of facts if you think about it. That's a lot of stuff that we're going through. The Apostle Paul was a guy who was adamant that Christianity should never be. The way should never be preached. Jesus could not be the Messiah. He was, a, I mean, this guy was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a hater of the church, and yet he encountered Jesus. And now we read, we preach, we teach, we believe because of the writings of this guy. Twelve reasons that show us why we can believe in the resurrection. Unfortunately, no amount of facts will ever convince someone whose heart is hard and who refuses to accept facts as facts. They won't, they won't embrace it no matter what. But can I tell you something? It's not your job or my job to convince anyone. It's God's job to do that. You, you and I have to, be, we have to be convinced by the facts. We have to decide to sit down and think about what is it that God has said? What is it that God has shown us? What is it that, that history proves? What are those things that surround the resurrection? And can we reasonably believe in it? And I would say yes. And so the third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, not a doubt. Not a doubt. Jesus, is alive. Jesus is alive. 
So we go from no doubt that he's dead to a lot of doubt that he's alive to now no doubt that Jesus is alive. So how do we go from there? So look at verse 14 to 16 in the book of Mark. Verse 14 to 16, it says this. It says, later he appeared to the 11 as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He appears to them. He shows them, hey, I'm here. I did rise. Verse 15 says, and he said to them, go into all of the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That is everyone. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And so he declares the judgment. It is this. If you believe that Jesus is risen and you show a formal commitment to him, then guess what? You will be saved. If you do not believe, then you are going to be condemned. Listen, those are strong words and those are sad words. You want to know why? Because those who are in the camp of Matt Delahunty that want to reject the truth of what the Bible says, who want to reject historical evidence, who want to reject all of those things. And listen, I'm not saying they're insincere, so please don't hear me say that if you happen to be a fan of this guy. But what I am saying is this, is that they do not believe and they reject the truth of the gospel. They reject the resurrection of Jesus. Therefore, they are condemned. And my hope is that you are not in that camp. My hope is that you are not there and that you are not denying the truth of Scripture because then you will be condemned. Denying the truth of the resurrection, then you will be condemned. But if you will believe, if you will believe, you will be saved from the wrath that is to come. From the wrath that is upon everyone who is in rebellion against God, who has not humbled their heart before him. Listen, I don't want that for you and God definitely doesn't want that for you because I didn't die for you. Jesus did. He came and died because he doesn't want you to be condemned, because he doesn't want you to suffer. He doesn't want you to be separated. And listen, if you're a believer in here, then you should know that those loved ones, those family members, those friends of yours, he doesn't want them to suffer. He doesn't want them to be condemned. He wants them to experience the resurrection power that is in Jesus Christ. And so I want to I I say this because finally, what does Jesus do? He appears to his disciples. And then, 1 Corinthians, you can write this one down. You can start taking notes again. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, you, you, he says there that, he, that Jesus appeared to over five, to 500 people over a 40-day period. I love that. That's one of the, that's one of the points that um, Pastor Mike didn't put in there. But I want you to get this. You got to understand, when Paul writes 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says something that is so important there. He says five, that, that, he, that Jesus appeared to 500 people, and he said this, many of whom are alive. In other words, hey, as you're reading this, you know what you can do? You can go look those people up. I mean, they didn't have a yellow pages back then, but come on. <laughs> you can go and you, those are church fathers. Those are church mothers. Those are people that saw the resurrected Jesus. Go talk to them. Go ask them about it. Go speak to them. Those are big words because in that time when Paul writes this, he's giving them that. So over that 40-day period, he did that. So no doubt he remained. So Jesus is alive. Jesus made himself infallibly known unto the people that he showed himself to. The evidence was overwhelming in the moment. And now we have biblical and extra-biblical sources that confirm the reality of the resurrection. No doubt, or not a doubt, Jesus is alive. And so as we close our time together today, I want to read a bunch of scripture to you because I just want you to hear what happens as a result of the resurrection of Jesus. And so here we go, Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 14. And just to give you a little bit of context to what we're reading here, this book of Acts is written by, the guy, written by a guy named Luke. 
Luke was a physician. He did great research. And what Luke did, he wrote two books in the New Testament. The book of Luke, obviously named after him, and then also the book of Acts. And what Luke did was he researched, he studied, he found out, he interviewed, he did all. God inspired him and led him to do all of these things so that way he could write down these accounts for this guy by the name of Theophilus. We don't know who Theophilus was, but we know that he was writing the book of Luke to Theophilus, who we believe and we think, from what we understand, he was probably a young believer who was, who was being having his faith being built, and Luke, as a good disciple maker, decided to write out of the research that he did, of the interviews and the communications that he had. And so he writes these things down. Luke was also very close to the Apostle Paul. And so this is, these are the things that he says. He says, a former account I made, O Theophilus. Of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he through the Holy Spirit have given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. I just want to pause for a moment here. That word in that that word there infallible what it actually means is this that from which something is surely known, right? It is it, in many languages it is that which causes something to be known for sure. The reason why that is so important is because when anybody says there is no proof, listen, you're not looking at the documentation that is there. You're ignoring the proof was there. This is a guy that researched and he was searching to find the truth and to lay it down and Jesus did this. He gave many infallible proofs to his resurrection. And so he goes on and he says to them, he, he continues in, in his writing in verse 4, he says, in being assembled together with them, just as Jesus, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for truly John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore... When they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. For what? So that you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then verse 9 says, and when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, and also who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from, from you into heaven, will, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. The reason we live for Jesus is because of what? Because he's coming back. He's fulfilled all of these other prophecies, and so now he, this is the one that we're waiting on that return for him to come. And look what, it, look, look what the result is. The result is this. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So what did they do? Because Jesus said, wait, they waited. 
And then if you fast forward, we're not going to read the whole account in chapter 2, but we're going to read from verse 22 to verse 41. But here's what I want you to know. As a result of them waiting, the Holy Spirit comes down in the beginning of chapter 2. And all of a sudden, this is, this is what changes everything. The boldness that came, for the, that gave them the boldness to speak was the power of God that came upon these disciples in the upper room. And while they're in the upper room, there are tons of people who are in Jerusalem at that time. And they hear these people speaking in languages they, that of their own languages. Like, how do these people know our languages? They're not from where we are. They're from this place. They're proclaiming the glory of God. They, some of the people are like, yo, these people are drunk. No, 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 we're not drunk. It's too early to be drunk. Come on now. That's what he said. In verse 22 is when Peter starts to preach. And look what he says here. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Pause for a moment, please. As you yourselves also know. He's not telling them, hey, this is what happened another time. No, no, no. You know this. You were here for this. You saw this. You experienced this. This is something you know about. Again, they were preaching in Jerusalem in the faces of those who had, who had done these things to Jesus. Verse 23, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. God always purposed. Let me say this. God always purposed the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus on our behalf. You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David said concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoices and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life you will make me full of joy in your presence and so pause he quotes David he quotes a song by David way back when why does he do that because he's giving them the foundation he's preaching to people who knew the whole Old Testament and he's letting them know hey this is what he said but look what he goes on to explain it men and brethren let me speak freely to you the patriarch David that he is both dead and buried his tomb is with us to this day therefore being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body according to the flesh he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne he foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. Did you hear that? Of which we are all witnesses. We are, we are testifying to the reality of this resurrection. Verse 33, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says of himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both the Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, look what it says. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Pause for a moment. Somebody in that crowd could have simply said, we didn't do that. 
Somebody in that crowd could have said, Jesus didn't rise. Somebody in that crowd could have said, no, nah, man, what you're saying is not true. But that is not what happened. The people in that crowd were cut to the heart by this preaching that Peter brings forth in their faces saying, you guys killed him, but he's risen. You guys crucified him, but he's no longer in the grave. You guys did these things, and yet God has raised him up as the Christ, which is what? The Messiah. The one who was prophesied to come. And what does Peter say to them? Is the same thing that God says to us today. And Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off. As many as the Lord our God will call. And then it says in verse 40, and with many other words he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Hallelujah. Listen, they could have denied it. They didn't. Their hearts were cut. Their lives were changed. And so my question to you as I close is this. How, how have you responded to the resurrection of Jesus? How have you responded to the resurrection of Jesus? Have you put your faith in Jesus today? Have you put your faith in Jesus already, not just today, but have you already put your faith in Christ? Are you a follower of Jesus? If you're a follower of Jesus, praise the living God. That means that you are now a witness for Jesus. But if you are in here, if you're in this place and you have not put your faith in Jesus with all the facts before you, with all of these, these things that we've looked at this morning, how will you respond to Jesus? How will you respond today? Will you trust him? Will you call upon him? Listen, I said it earlier, doubt is the tool of the enemy to keep you away from the power of the resurrection and what the resurrection could do in your life. Do, listen, doubt, you're not, you're not, I'm not telling you that you're not going to have some doubts. But listen to me, the proof is there. If you don't know Christ, if you're not a follower of Jesus, today, today, call upon him. Let's bow our heads, please. Father, I pray today for every person in this place. Father, first and foremost, I pray today for us, your sons and your daughters, God, that we would be the witnesses you've called us to be. That we would trust you, Lord God, that we would not fear the persecution, that we would not fear those things that would come against us. But for your name's sake, God, that we would rise up. And I pray also for everyone in this place that may not know you, God. I don't know every person in here. But you do. And I'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed for a moment. And I'm just going to ask this question. If you're in this place and you want to trust Jesus today. You want to put your faith in him today. I just want to pray with you, and I, want, and I want to be able to rejoice with you if that is you. If you're not a follower of Christ, and today you recognize that you want to follow Jesus, this is a bold decision. I'm just going to ask you just to raise your hand right where you're at in your seat, and I'm going to pray with you. 
in this place. If, there, if there's anybody in here, I don't want to leave this service without giving that opportunity. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much. And I pray, Jesus, that you would continue to draw hearts unto you in this place and draw hearts, Lord God, of those who don't know you, those that are in here, Lord God, that are struggling in their faith, that are struggling to trust you and believe, Lord God. I pray that you would connect them with brothers and sisters that would help them to get past the hurdles, to get past the struggles, and may your resurrection power be manifested in them. We pray this in Jesus' good name, and everyone said, Amen. Come on and give God a hand of praise.